as you open up the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians should actually be 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians should be 3 Corinthians, because Paul actually wrote a letter to them prior to 1 Corinthians. And he alludes to that letter. What I wrote to you previously, he says, uh, you know, he... He references a letter that he writes to the Corinthian church prior to. And he's writing 2 Corinthians to clarify some of the things that he said in, first, in, in the, the first letter that we have no access to. It has never been found. We don't know what it is. And so actually as we open up 1 Corinthians, we're actually opening up the second letter uh, to the Corinthian church uh, there in Greece. And uh, it's emphasizing what Paul had said before and adding some new things in there. Now, Corinth was a place where we can really, really, really identify with, especially in our culture today, in our own country. Uh, as we look at Corinth, uh, you know, just real quick little history lesson here, you know, from about 350 to 250 BC, and that's how you mark out a, a, a time frame, you know, B.C., before Christ, you know, you start with a higher number and down, down, down to the lower number, you know. You know, we would say, hey, you know, I was born, you know, in 1963, you know, I don't know when my death is going to be, but, you know, we always start with a shorter number, smaller number, up to the larger number. And, but it, B.C., BC days, you would start with a larger number because you're going backwards. You're going backwards. And so from 350 BC all the way to 250 BC, so this is 200, 350 to 250 years before Christ, Corinth was the most prominent city in all of Greece. Greater than Athens. It was a great city. It was prominent. It was the most um, well-known city in Greece in that time because of its location where the transportation would go had to go through Corinth. There was so much business that went through Corinth. And it was a very, very prominent city. And then um, the Roman military machine began a relentless march to forge a vast, vast, vast empire. And so in, nine, in, in, in 146 B.C., in 146 B.C., Corinth was completely destroyed and lay in ruins by the Roman uh, army completely decimated it and just destroyed and buried the city of Corinth. And it stayed in ruins. It stayed that way, uninhabited, uninhabitable for a hundred years. And then in 46 BC, Julius Caesar, how many of you heard his name before? Julius Caesar, the Caesar in Rome, he actually sent, he moved a mixed group of Italians and de, uh, dispossessed uh, people who were Greece, Greek, Grecians, Greeks. He moved some Italians and some Greeks onto the site where 
They had previously destroyed it a hundred years ago, and they he, he forced them to live there. He deposed all of the Grecians, all the Greeks, out of Rome. He didn't want them there anymore, so he pushed them back into Corinth, and he made them go and live there and rebuild the city. And so they rebuilt the city, and that city became a more, more advanced, magnificent city than it ever had been before. But this time, it's a Roman colony. This time it's a Roman colony. As in most Roman cities, if you go back into Corinth today and you go back into the ruins of Corinth today, you're going to find that there's a lot of marble and cut stone in there. It, it dominated the landscape there in Corinth. Um, the city also had an underground well that would supply the whole entire city. And so back in that day, you can imagine, you know, here we go into the kitchen or into a restroom or, you know, into a faucet and we turn a faucet on. And not only do we have the access and the luxury of being able to have water come out, but we can determine whether we want hot or cold water to come out. You know, back in that day, you didn't just you didn't have inside indoor running water and so you'd have to go to the well you'd have to go to the water source and pick up your pitcher of water or your tub of water and take it back to your house for the day or for the two days or however long that you would have can you imagine doing that on a day by day basis we take advantage we take we take uh, you know uh, for granted the water that we have access to you know maybe you're a teenager and you spend 30 minutes in the shower well, they didn't have that back that day. You know, if you took 30 minutes in a shower, uh, you'd get beat up by your brothers and sisters, I'm sure. And so here's the thing. You'd run all the water out and then, and then somebody else would have to go back and get more water, you know, to, to fill up the tubs. And so they had actually this great supply of water there from an underground um, Back in that time, it became such a, a great city that they began these games. They were called the Ismithian uh, Games. The Ismithian Games. Now, you understand. How many of you have heard of the Ismithian Games? Probably nobody. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Olympic Games? The Olympics. The Olympics. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The, Ismith, uh, the Ismithian Games were actually... Uh, created to be in the off years of the Olympian uh, Olympic Games. Do you understand that the Olympic Games have been around this long? Long before this. We're talking way, way, way back. The Smithian Games came in, and you know how the Olympic Games, you know, the Summer Olympics are every four years, the Winter Olympics are every, you know, four years, you know, from each other, you know? Well, they didn't used to have the Winter Olympics. They only had, like, the typical Olympics, and uh, the, the uh, but it was always a four-year period. Well, Smithian Games actually came on the two-year mark. And so the Smithian Games would come on, you know, year, you know, uh, two, and you know, the the Olympic Games would go, and then two years later, then the Smithian Games, and then two years later, then the Olympic Games, and two years later, and you see so on and so forth. I don't think I need to spell that out many more, but uh, much more. They were originated. Um, by uh, this king back uh, that date all the way back into 523 BC. So 523 years uh, before Jesus, um, uh, the uh, the Olympic Games, the and, and I'm sorry, the Smithian Games were created. Now, um, 
competition centered on three kinds of events. They, they centered on equestrian, gymnastics, and music. So they had the voice back then. They did. They had a, they had a Corinthian idol, you know, uh, and Simon Kawalas was one of the judges back then, and uh, uh, they had this competition, you know, and so you'd send your best singers from your country in there, and they would sing, and, and, and what have you, and uh, uh, they, they'd have these competitions. By the New Testament period, you know, after Jesus had been born, you know, in the, in the, the A, you know, the A.D. time, you know, um, the, the time of Jesus' birth and, and on into his death and resurrection and what have you. But A.D., after the birth of Jesus, by the New Testament period, the games were influenced by Roman civilization so much that, that chariot racing came into to play and other spectacles that were probably added by the Hellenistic competitions and 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 so there was a lot of different kinds of games that, that came into being in there and and Paul actually alludes to some of these games in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 um, he talks about running a race uh, 1 Corinthians is we're going to get there and not nine weeks but however long it takes us to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 but here's the thing in chapter 9, Paul talks about how when we run, we all run a race. And we're running a race. And he talks about as we run the race, we all run the race to receive the prize. And then Paul also talks about boxing. When I fight, I fight thus. Not as a man beating the air. You know, and, and so Paul references boxing. He references track and field. And so here's the thing. By that time, track and field and, and, uh, and uh, boxing had come into play in the Olympic Games. Now the prize for winning these games, we see, was a wreath. And this wreath was actually made out of myrtle, olive, and pine branches. Plus, they got, if you won and you got this wreath on your head, there were additional benefits. There was a stipend from the state. Your country would actually pay you if you won, gave you, gave you things. They would also take you out of the tax bracket and you wouldn't have to pay taxes if you won for them. Um, there were also special benefits for the competitors, uh, for the champions, not competitors, but for the champions' children. And so it was a very important thing to win your race, to win your class. Well, these were happening back in that time. I remember the first time that I ever heard that the Olympic Games were back in this time. It shocked me. I don't know, have any of you guys, is this the first time for any of you guys that you heard that the Olympics were actually going back at this time? You know, running and, and competitions between countries and things like that. I remember it shocked me, and even to this day kind of still shocks me, to think that those games were back in that time. Well, the Smithian Games, um, they were the every, you know, uh, first and third years, you know, uh, and and... Uh, alternated with the Olympic Games. Corinth also became a cosmopolitan city. It attracted many, many, many tradespeople from all over the world, and its reputation grew tremendously throughout the world. 
as a center of luxury, of indulgence, and of vice. We might consider it Las Vegas. We consider, I mean, if you think of Las Vegas, what do you think of? Sin City. There you go, Sin City. Indulgence, luxury, and vice. And that was the picture of, of Corinth. The distinctive cult of Corinth was the worship the worship of the respect of the reverence and dedication to Aphrodite, Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love, of beauty, and fertility. She's also known as the Roman goddess of Venus. And so Aphrodite and Venus are basically the same uh, goddess. Um, those of you who have ever done any kind of study of, you know, you know, Greek statues or Roman statues you'll remember that Venus is the one with the chopped off arms you know broken arms you know Venus de Milo Um, and so this Venus she was a goddess supposedly that had I don't even want to tell you how she became an actual goddess because it was pretty disgusting Um, and through this she came out of the ocean I'm not going to tell you how she got into the ocean because I, I didn't even want to put it on tape it's gross but she came out of the sea foam of the ocean now, now I know that there's some of you going I'm going to look that up right now just stay with me look it up later okay don't get on your phone and look it up Nathan um, <laughs> here's the thing uh, <laughs> she came out of she was birthed out of the sea foam out of the sea foam and she floated up on the shoreline in a scallop shell you know and she was more beautiful than any woman had ever been and she was very seductive she was very enticing she was very tempting she was gorgeous uh, it's it said that you know there's that 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 Zeus Uh, You know, the legend is that Zeus saw that all of the other gods, the major gods, would actually start a huge war. In Greek mythology, this is the thought that Zeus being the big god, you know, he was the, the main dude, you know. He saw that her beauty was such that all the gods would actually fight over her beauty in order to secure her as a wife. And so Zeus does... uh, something where he goes and he takes the ugliest god that's out there and forces Aphrodite, Venus, to marry the ugliest god that's out there and uh, and basically puts it all to, to rest. Now, the thing is, is that Aphrodite was not faithful to her husband. She had many lovers, according to Greek mythology. She had many, many, many lovers. She got her lovers because of her seduction and her beauty and her using her ability to entice men to follow her because of her beauty. Why are we talking about this? What does this have to do with the Bible whatsoever? Well, it's going to paint a picture, hopefully for you and I, that... We can identify with where we're living today. 
She was the goddess of love. She was the goddess of beauty, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of seduction and temptation and using her charm to woo men. She was that goddess. I, I believe that today in our own society, we might say we don't bow down to any other gods, but I will say au contraire, if that's even how you say that. I would say on the contrary. I think that we bow down I think that there's a lot of young young women and older women that bow down still to Aphrodite. The idea is I need to be more beautiful than anyone else. I need to become seductively attractive so that men will fawn all over me. I must be this. And guys, we actually propagate it. We actually push this forward and continue to move this ideology forward to a point where we have become a very sick society in our, in our own right. We bow down to this, to this goddess and we would say, oh, I don't bow down to her. No, but the idea is the same exact idea back in Corinth. This is what they did. In fact, you know that they had a temple there in Corinth dedicated to Aphrodite that was serviced by, uh, by 1,000 prostitutes. And in order to respect, honor, and worship Aphrodite, which was the prevalent goddess, the cult that had pervaded the city in Corinth these thousand prostitutes temple prostitutes would dress seductively they would be very seductive and in order to worship Aphrodite you would go in and you would sleep with these prostitutes and in so doing you were appeasing the goddess Aphrodite is there any faithfulness in marriages there? no honey I've got to go I gotta go. I'm, we're worshiping. We're going to go to church. You see, it's it's self indulgence. It's something that 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 man left to man. That's what he wants to do. He he will go after the most base, you know, uh, urges of his mind, and he'll he'll make that a god. We've done that in our own country. This is Corinth, and it was prevalent. People loved to go to Corinth because of that. And they felt justified in doing it, going, hey man, we're just worshiping. We're doing the right thing. Everybody else is doing it. It's okay. Everybody likes it. Everybody's doing it. I'm not harming them. I'm not harming anyone. Get off my case. This is just, we're just doing what everybody does in Corinth. Now, understand this. The rest of the world knew about Corinth the rest of the world knew about Corinth and how debaucherous Corinth was. They were so debaucherous. They were so slimy that the rest of the world, as they would have actors on the stage of any kind of a theatrical actor, 
anytime they had somebody that would come on the stage as a Corinthian, a Corinthian was always known, the actor that would come on the stage would always be the absolutely, completely and totally drop, you know, uh, silly drunk. That was just saying everything that he wants to say. And he was just going by his own urge. And everybody would know, oh, that's the Corinthian. That's how a Corinthian was understood. How would you like that to be your moniker, you know, your, your, uh, 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 what you're known for throughout the rest of the world? Oh, that's the American. I'm sorry to say, but I think that we have kind of that mindset around the world. We become very decadent. We become very self-absorbed in our country. And, and, and the thing is, we, I think we can really, really, really identify with Corinth. It's just a bad city. Now, mind you, if they would use the term, he speaks like a Corinthian. Now, that was a whole different thing. It was a whole different mindset because if they said, oh, he speaks like a Corinthian, everyone would go, oh, wow, he's an eloquent speaker. He knows how to speak. He knows many different languages. He knows the art of conversation. He knows the art of being able to sway a public, a people. And so there was, a, there was the benefit of, of saying, oh, he speaks like a Corinthian, or, you know, that would mean a positive thing to you. He acts like a Corinthian, that would be a Corinthian, that would be a negative thing. You understand? A Corinthian. If it feels good, do it. I'm sure that they had the same kind of philosophy back in that day. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Uh, Corinthian morals were notoriously corrupt. Even the Romans considered the Corinthians debase and corrupt. Now these are the Roman government officials and the Caesars that would have widespread orgies in the government facilities. It's just disgusting. But they looked upon Corinth and go, oh man, those guys are bad. Phew, those guys are bad. Your sin on someone else oftentimes looks really bad, doesn't it? But even the Romans considered the Corinthians so degraded and debased. Now, that's Corinth. That's Corinth, and that's where Paul spent most of his time, one of his longest journeys, one of his longest stays in building a church was in Corinth. You know that? What Paul says, he says, I'm going to read the first couple, three verses. He says, he opens the letter, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. If in your Bible you see that your, uh, and, and some of your Bibles don't do this, but uh, they should, um, oftentimes when you see italics, 
in your Bible. The translators added them because they felt like you needed to understand a little bit more. They, they helped you to understand the flow. But sometimes it can become a detriment to what actually is being said. It, because here it is, in my Bible, I don't know any of your other Bibles out there, uh, to be, Paul, called to be, to be is in italics. Usually when it's in italics, it was not there in the original language. So it says, Paul, called an apostle, called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, here's the thing. Paul, you got to understand, Paul, most people believe that Paul was little. His name means little. Uh, A lot of people believe that Paul's voice was kind of squeaky. So you got this little squeaky guy. He talks like this. And that's the Apostle Paul. But he's really, really, really deep. He's intense. Can you imagine? (laughs) It's Paul. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Think about it. It's tough. So he has so much backlash. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Hey, little squeaky dude. You're not one of the twelve. That's why Paul says, I'm Paul, I'm called an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not by the will, or through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. He says in Galatians chapter 1, he goes, Paul, called to be an apostle, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Paul opens all of his letters by saying, Paul. But he references his position. I'm an apostle. Whether or not you like it or not, this is what God has called me to be. This is what God personally called me to be. And I'm sorry that I have a voice that's high and squeaky. I'm sorry that my stature isn't large and big. I can only be who it is that God has called me to be. God gave me a squeaky voice. I'm sorry. God gave me the height that I have. I'm sorry. He, he'll, he'll talk a little bit about that. He says, you know, uh, you know, there in verse 20, 27, in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, God has chosen the foolish things. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And the weak things of the world or small things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Here's, here's the heart of Paul. Paul's going, no flesh is ever going to be, regardless of how booming his voice is, regardless, regardless of how large his stature is, no one will be able to boast before the Lord. No one will be able to glory in God's presence. It's the glory of God and of what, what we're after. God called me. And you might think it's foolish. But to God, it wasn't. I can't make excuses for why God called me to be an apostle. I can't, I can't you know, uh, make a defense for why he chose me to do what it is that I'm doing. I'm just fulfilling what it is that God's called me to do. Whether or not you like my looks or whether or not you like my voice, it doesn't matter. 
I'm here to service the one for who died for me. The one who gave his life for me. I am here to minister on his behalf. He called me. I am here to perform for the audience of one. Guys, we take a large, a great, great, great lesson from here if we would understand that one point. You operate your life. You wake up in the morning and you breathe your breath for the one who gave his life for you. So do you understand so many of our problems would go away, our own personal problems would go away if we adopted that principle in our own life? So many things are against me. I'm having such a hard time. That person doesn't like me and this person is saying these mean things against me and that and this isn't happening and that job isn't going on and I've got this kind of financial and I've got that and there and, and this and that and this and you got all these I, 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 I. You got an I problem. Everything is I, 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 I. When in all actuality, if you take this principle that Paul said, listen, in whatever manner or state I'm in, I'm going to find myself to be content because it's no longer about me, it's about Christ. And so if I'm destitute right now, well, then God wants me to be destitute at this moment. It doesn't mean that I have to like it, but here's the thing. I'm going to be content and I'm going to be used by what the Lord has called me to be. Maybe there's somebody that needs to be ministered to in the state that I'm in right now. And I believe that there is. Otherwise, God wouldn't waste time on me. He's not just wasting time in your life. That person is being mean to me. No, listen. Stop it. Your life is hidden in Christ. It's not about you anymore. If somebody doesn't like you, so be it. If you're being a jerk, stop it. If you need to apologize, apologize. And say, hey, you know what? I didn't represent the Lord right there. And I blew it. I blew it. But life is not about you. It's not about me. And, and the, the sooner we understand that, a lot of our problems go away. A lot of our problems go away. I was talking to a pastor this last week that has just multiple, multiple, multiple issues in his church where families are just being destroyed. Marriages are on the rocks. And the thing is, is that he's saying they say the right things. They believe when we come in for counseling, we talk and, 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 and they know the word. They've been around for a long time. But it's like something disconnects. The moment they leave the church, the moment they leave my office, or the moment that they leave any kind of counseling, they walk out, something happens where they leave that compartment at the church. And they go back out in the world and they don't do what it is that they know what is right or know what is wrong. You, you, they go out there and they do that and you go... And then they come back in and they go, Hey, my marriage is really, really, really struggling. Well, you know... Husband, if you're not sleeping with this woman over here, probably wouldn't have the problems that you have. You know, wife, if you're not cheating on your husband by doing the things that you're doing and, and, and texting these guys secretly, probably wouldn't be having the marriage issues that you have. I, I know. I need to get that under control. You just got to stop. Just, just be common sense. We, we're losing common sense in this world. We're just losing common sense in this world. 
There's no such thing as common sense, it seems, anymore. Here's the thing. It's disturbing because these are same people that will go in and say, and they'll say some of the most bold things for Christ. But then they walk out and they don't, they don't live it. And, and, and the idea is, you're two different people. I'm going to live for Christ in this building. And I'm going to live for Christ every time I open up this Bible. But when this Bible closes, when I leave and exit the building of a church, or the presence of a brother or a sister in the Lord that I strongly and highly look up to, then my life becomes my own again. But while I'm with them, you know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible says? The Bible calls that, it's a Greek word called hypocrites. Hypocrites. It's where we get our word hypocrite from. You know what hypocrites is? Hypocrites in the Greek is actor. Actor. Or actress. That's what an actor is. We have blurred the lines in our country. My goodness, we have blurred the lines in our country of actors and actresses. They make a big movie... And all of a sudden, we want to worship the words that they say because they were so great in that movie. They were awesome. I want to listen to Robert Downey Jr. all all the time because he's Iron Man. (laughs) No, you don't want to listen to that guy. I don't mean to pick on him. I'm just saying any actor. Well, they did such a great job in this movie. They're an actor. That's not them. Somebody wrote the story. They went through 50 takes to make it perfect to get you to believe it on screen. And you believed it on screen. We have believed it on screen. And all of a sudden, they have now taken on the character of what we have been deceived into believing about them. And all of a sudden, what they have to say is everything. Guys, they're idiots just like us. Here's the thing. If they didn't have that big acting role and they said that some of the things that they said when they weren't anything, you'd go, what an idiot. But because they're on the silver screen, because, silver screen, that's not like that anymore, but uh, because they're on the the TV or because they're on a DVD, because they're on a big movie, you go, wow, listen to that. Oh, I can't wait to meet that person. That person came in. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. Uh, you know, going, hey, you know that racetrack that is out on uh, uh, on University? Yeah? Hey, yeah, I think it was Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne was out there. So? Do you need gas or needed some convenience food or what? I, I don't know. Here's the thing. Who cares? Who cares? If the guy didn't make the music that he made, you wouldn't care anything about what the person says. But because they become our heroes in our eyes, they become our idols in our eyes. I thought it was a slap in the face, a spiritual slap in the face of the United States of America when we came up with that move, when we came up with that show, American Idol, because it's exactly what it is that we've done with Hollywood and with music, musicians. We've made them idols. All the while saying, oh, they're not our idols, but we do. We bow down to them. We, we watch them. We spend our time focused on them. We have, where is your Bible in your house? I'm going to convict myself right now. Where is your Bible in your house in relation to your TV? How much time do you spend on the TV as opposed to in your word? Can I tell you? I'm sorry, this is probably rubbing some of us a little wrong right now. 
But here's the thing. Guys, listen. Here's the thing. Is that become an idol to us? Well, I'm not bowing down to it. I don't know. When I when I sit here and I scream at a football game, yeah, 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 or, I, or I'm cheering on, my son was saying that they were watching a movie the other day about a boxer, you know, that back in the 30s or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Cinderella Man, I think, is what they were watching at, at TV on, on uh, at school, one of their assignments at school. He says, Dad, I'm the only guy in our history class, and all the girls are sitting in there going, oh, get him, get him, and they're getting all caught up, and he's like... Come on, guys. It's called Cinderella, man. He's going to win the fight. (laughs) They wouldn't name it Cinderella, man, if he didn't win the fight. It just wouldn't work, you know. Oh, quit ruining the movie for us, you know. And, and (laughs) you know, here's the thing. I'm sorry, Nate. I didn't ask you if I could use that. But actually, it's kind of cool. But here's the thing. You know, the girls are, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, And they get caught up. In something that's not real. But here, here's the thing. He get kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they knock him down. You remember watching Rocky, guys? When him, and, yeah, you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Remember when he and Apollo Creed in that second movie, they go and they both punch each other so hard and they both, and they hit the ground. Apollo, I'm down. You know? And they sit there and they go over to the, to the, to the ropes and they, they're trying to get up. They're trying to get up. And you're going, come on, Rocky. You can do it. It's a movie, guys. <laughs> and it didn't happen. But I was caught up. I'm going, come on, man. Come on. Caught on. Come on. And they both stood up. You remember they both stood up and they were like this. And all of a sudden Apollo Creed goes, ooh. And he falls down. And you go, yeah. And you scream like crazy. It's the last time you worship like that. It's the last time we worship the Lord going, Yes, Lord. Yes. God, yes. Look at you. Look at what you've done for us. More power to me. Here's the thing. I'm afraid that Corinth, though it's no longer in the same place that it was, I think it's moved to the United States of America. And I think that we've got to be very, very careful as Christians that we don't get caught up in the Corinthian way, in the Corinthian mindset. Because there's a lot of things that we can follow after and we would never say, well, we're worshiping the goddess of sex. Oh, really? Do you know that we, out of all industrialized nations in the world, we are the leader in all of the of all the industrialized nations of the world, we are the leader in sexually transmitted diseases. The latest statistics that are out there is 2008 statistics, and there's 110 million people that were treated for a sexually transmitted disease in 2008. Couple that with there's 308 as of today 318 million people here upon in in the United States. That's a third of the people in the United States have been have been treated for a sexually transmitted disease. A third of the people have been treated for a sexually transmitted disease. And the article is this saying here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's an easy battle that we can win if they just take precautions. Well, my mind works this way. 
there's a lot of people that are taking precautions. And so if there's 110 million people that are being treated for this sexually transmitted disease, how many more million are doing it cautiously and keeping themselves from the STDs and yet still doing the sin? And I think, wow, we've got an epidemic in our own country. And it's called the Corinthians of 2015. Now, I've got to finish here, but here's, here's the thing. Listen, I know this can be a downer message, but can I just, just read something here? It says in verse 1, it says, Paul, I'm called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brothers. Listen, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, in Christ Jesus, called saints, not to be saints, but called saints, with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. See what Paul just said? To the church of God, which is at Corinth. We are the church of God, which is at 3650 Weber Street. We are not the church of God as the only We are one of many churches of God in Sarasota County. We don't have the market on being Christians here. There's a lot of great churches here in in town. There's some great churches that are here. Great, solid, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Jesus-filled, Holy Spirit-relied-upon churches in Sarasota County. And they are the church of whatever the name of their church is. Here's the thing. Uh, But conversely, there's a lot that are out there that are not good churches. They take the word of God and they twist it. And they change it. And they make it to fit their own ideology in order to attract people to keep them. But in doing so, they're causing, I believe, the spiritual death of thousands of people. And to that, they're going to have to answer the Lord for. They will have to answer the Lord for it. And I pity him. Here's the thing. He says, I'm, going to, I'm talking to you guys. I'm writing a letter to the church of God in Corinth. To you guys who are sanctified. You know what word sanctified means? Sanctified literally means just to be set apart for God. To be set apart for God and his purposes. He says, I'm writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are set apart in Christ Jesus, called saints. I, I know that there's a, a, you know, the Catholic church likes to, you know, wait for somebody. You know, they, they go back in the past and they look, well, here's a, a verifiable miracle. And we have gone through all this, you know, discovery and, and investigation. And so after all of this, we've done, you know, all this ruling and so on and so forth. We're going to call this person a saint. And I, I would say that's not taking the word of God properly because here's the thing. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus is a saint. Not because you committed a miracle, because you performed a miracle, but because a miracle was performed on you through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, you understand. And so from now on, I mean, it wouldn't be improper for us to, you know, to greet each other, you know, hey, hey, Saint Don. 
You know? Hey, St. John. St. Bert. How's that sound? Hey, St. Bert. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Saint, put your name there. You're a saint. If you are in Christ Jesus because he did the miraculous and took you and made you brand new. St. Nathan, can you sit down, please? I'm just joking. I just, I just wanted to use St. Nathan. I thought that sounded kind of cool. Here's the thing. St. Nathan. I'm just joking. I just was playing with you, Nate. I'm just playing with you. Uh, I like to have my son here for comic relief. Um, he'll get me back. I guarantee it. Here's the thing. We're saints because of what Christ has done for us. We're not saint because, uh, saints because of church or because of governing board or because some church leadership has said, well, you're a saint and you're not. The only one that can verify or can make one a saint is Jesus Christ, you see. And so we're saints. With all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Here's the thing. He's saying, there is a church in Corinth in spite of how bad Corinth is there's a church there and as we get in and dig into the book of 1 Corinthians you're going to find out there's some pretty ugly things going on in the church of Corinth and they're, they're, they're thinking hey it's okay it's okay Paul says you know what it's even reported that there's a man who actually is sleeping with his dad's wife and you're boasting that you guys are showing love by keeping him involved in the fellowship and thinking that it's okay. We live in a society here right now where tolerance is the word. Tolerance is, is the, the, the uh, philosophy of the American culture. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. Nobody can judge me. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God is filled with judging. It's filled with judging. Paul says, you're going to know them by their fruits. Well, that's judgmental, Paul. I, don't, I think we should just rip that Bible verse out of Scripture. Well, what about that part that says, hey, you know what? Before you judge anybody, you better take the log out of your own eye before you start judging anybody else. See, God does not want you to judge. No, no, it didn't say that at all. It says this. If you're sitting there doing the same thing and you're hampering down on somebody who's doing the same thing you're doing and you're calling him a sinner, get the log out of your own eye. Then, the Bible says, here's what Jesus says, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye then you'll be able to minister to that person because of their sin. But make sure you rid yourself of the junk that's in your own life before you go and you begin to minister to a brother or a sister. But that's not very kind. I want to continue to go down this road and do this. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Tolerance isn't... isn't it's not the philosophy of the Lord. I hate to say this, but there's coming a day where God will be judging the faithful and the unfaithful. And you're not going to stand there before God at the great white throne judgment and go, you're hurting my feelings because you're judging me. I just lived the way that I was meant to live. And God's going to go, no, you know what? I created you. I know how you were to live. You knew how you were to live. 
and you'd abandoned me anyway. You discarded me. I depart from me. I never knew you. That's judgmental. You're hurting my feelings. And you know what? Here's the thing. We're afraid of hurting anybody's feelings today by opening up the Word of God and saying, hey, here's what the Word of God says. Paul judges. Paul judges. Paul's saying, hey, if you're sitting there sleeping with your dad's wife, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's a shame to you, church, that you're accepting that guy in and having him hang out and still be a part of your fellowship as if nothing's going on. See, you need to deal with this guy. You need to cause this guy. You need to separate him from the body of Christ. Why? Because it's called a cancer. And a cancer can come into the church and begin to pervade. And what ends up happening is all of a sudden sin is no longer sin. Sin is tolerant. Let's be tolerant of sin. And if we're tolerant of sin, then we're going to be showing the love of God. No, you're actually going to be showing the love of Satan because Satan doesn't want us to be right before the Lord. And God clearly spells it out. Paul, he, look at this. He says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you don't have to look there. You can jot it down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at what he says. He says this. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty cut and dry right there. And I know that there's the tolerant pulpits out there saying, well, that's not what he meant. I don't know. These same pulpits will say, hey, if a girl says no, she means no. No means no. <laughs> I was talking to uh, one of the fellows up at the, the uh, thing the other day, at my men's conference up in Jacksonville the other day, and, and he's, a, he's a tall guy, a real tall guy. And uh, he was with his wife at Walmart or something like that, and he was, he was walking along. And, and he saw this little girl, this mom had dressed her little girl up in a really, really cute little dress. And they're sitting in an aisle, and, and the mom and, and the daughter are going down, and they're walking along. And Bill goes, now, aren't you just the prettiest little thing? And she stops, and she looks up, and she goes, stranger danger, stranger danger, stranger danger. And he's going, oh, can you imagine? It's like you can't talk to anybody anymore. Now I know that the little kid was, it's a good thing that the kid was going to be overcautious. But here Bill's with his wife. The mom's standing right next to it. And Bill's going, I feel, a guy's like 6'8". He goes, I feel like I'm two inches tall, man. Stranger danger! Stranger danger! Stranger danger! And so I kept saying that to Bill all the rest of the weekend. He'd come around me and go, stranger danger! Stranger danger! You know, here's the thing. We become a society of tolerance. We don't want to call anybody out for sin. We don't want to say that sin is sin because that's not nice. And God is a God of love and he would never send anybody to hell. That's not the Bible you read. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 7, he's going to say, I'm going to say to them in that day, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, that's not a loving God, but that's in the Bible. 
you're going to have to determine whether or not Jesus meant what he said or you're going to buy into what the world says and say, well, I, don't, I, I agree with what the world says and I think that this is just an archaic book. It is an archaic book, but it's never been proved to be wrong. But we've become very wise in our day. We've become very, very smart in our day. But just look at the society around us. Have we gotten better? Have we gotten more safe? Have we become more godly? Have we become more caring? Have we become more loving in our society? No, I would beg to differ. Here's the one thing I see. We have a society that has turned its back on one another for the sake of self. And, and, and so here's the thing. We don't want to call sin, sin. Paul calls sin, sin. He says, listen, these people that I just named out will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on, he says in verse 11, he goes, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified or set apart. But you were justified. Justified means to be just, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God looks at your sin. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. He says, no longer walk in those things. That's not what you are to do. That's not what I am to do as a Christian. That's who you used to be. But that's not who you are today. But know this. Paul spends so much time in Corinth. And, and, I, I, and I do finish with this. Here's the thing. He spends so much time in Corinth because he loves those people. He loves those people so much. But he wants to point them to Jesus Christ. He went to Athens before he went to, to, to Corinth. When he was in Athens, he saw all these, these statues and all these things, all these statues to various gods and everything. As he's walking down the street, the main street there, and he's looking at all these statues. Well, here's to this God, here's to that God, here's to this God, here's to that God. And they had one, the Greeks, they didn't want to offend any God. And so they actually had a statue to the unknown God. Because they, if, if they missed any gods... They wanted to say, well, we forgot about you, but we didn't because that's you, the unknown. So they, they, they're kind of covering their backs, you know. We'll make a statue to an unknown God because if a God comes on the scene that we didn't know about and he gets mad because we don't have a statue of him and he's going to wipe us all out, we're going to go point him out to the unknown God. Well, we didn't know your name. Uh, we, we're going to scribe it down right now. Just don't wipe us out. But Paul, he goes in, he goes, I just noticed all these gods that you guys worship, but I came to the unknown God. He's the one that I want to talk to you about. And he uses this very, uh, you know, very ingenious way of saying, hey, I want to talk to you about the unknown God. It's a very ingenious way to, infold, you know, to, to include Jesus in the Lord. And he goes in and he begins to talk about all of their different, you know, philosophers, Euripides, Epimenides, all these fellas that, that they had, their, their, their leaders in their society, the leaders that they looked up to, the poets that they adhered, that they loved and admired so much. And he says, I, I know that you guys said these, you, 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 you hear these things and you do these things. So he's bringing all these eloquent words. He's bringing this eloquent way of going in there and he tries to explain to them the gospel. And the Bible says, a few came to know the Lord. You see, trying to talk somebody into the kingdom of God doesn't really have a lot of fruit to it. 
when Paul went to Corinth, the very next church, the very next place that he went to, it says a church was established there and that church began to grow. And it's in the most ugly place upon the face of the earth. The Romans even looked at that as being a very bad place, a debaucherous place. He went in, he looked at that church, and he started a church there, and people came to know the Lord by the droves. And the church began to grow. And you know what he said? He says in, in chapter 2, he says, you know what? When I came to you guys, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech. I didn't come to you with the wisdom of men like he did back in Athens. I didn't come here trying to sweet talk my way into talking to you because I found out back in Athens. He doesn't say this, but it's kind of what he's alluding to. It didn't work back in Athens. I saw that there was a lot of Paul and not a lot of God in that. When I came to you, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he kept Jesus the main thing. Jesus the main thing. Jesus the main thing. Gang, that's what we got to do, man. That's what we got to do. We're living in a society that is Corinth. We've got people that are over-sexualized in our society. And it's coming at us from every angle. But the hope is here. Listen, even though we have these horrible statistics against us, as Paul said to the church in Corinth, I say to us here in this world, in this nation especially, don't lose heart. Look at it as an opportunity to point out Jesus. Because here's the thing. If you point out the true Jesus, there's really truly going to be a distinguishable light from darkness. A truth from fallacy if you point out the true Jesus. Paul doesn't get down on him. He, he, he says, hey, there's a church there. He's going to get down on him. He's going to say, there's a church here. And God's going to do a work in this church even though some of Corinth has crept into the church. You've got to remove the Corinth from the church so that the church can be a Jesus Christ-led church. Believers were taking believers to court. They were a spiritual bunch. Paul talks about how great they operated in the gifts of the Spirit. And he goes, but there's a lot of shame to the way you're doing it because you're doing it for self. Firm these things up. Correct these things in your church. Correct these things in the church. But he doesn't call them not believers. He's saying, clean those things up. I'm judging the way that you're operating things. Clean those things up. Clean those things up. Gang, we're living in that day. We're living in that age right now. Here's the thing. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do the things that I say. And the thing is, gang, I want us to be believers in 2015 that really do what God's called us to do. Let's not bow out of society. Let's not bow out of, of you know, standing up for Christ because we're afraid that everybody else has taken on a different different plan or a different view. That's what Paul was doing in Corinth. And that's what every one of those people that came to know the Lord in Corinth had to do in their own life. But call, Paul was called in there and he 
started to weed out and started to cleanse the church because of the things that they thought, well, hey, I come to Christ. Hey, I'm saved now, but I'm still going to go and sleep with those prostitutes. Paul says, no, you can't do that. You don't, you don't do that now that you have the Lord. Oh, yeah, you don't. I know that it might have been an accepted practice to sleep with your dad's wife, but that's not how we do it in the church. Don't do that. And so he comes in and he's going to, as we go through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he's going to share with us some things in our own life. And I think it's going to be very apropos for the days that we're living in today. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And even as we look back at Corinth and we see a little bit of a history lesson here today, I pray, God, that, that it has not been a time of boredom, but, Lord, it's been a time where we have laid a foundation that states hey wait a minute wow a lot of what Corinth dealt with is what we deal with today we're dealing with that today in our own day and age so if if that was a lot like us back then well then what were the instructions that Paul gave to the believers that were going to heaven what were the instructions that Paul was giving and let me take those instructions that he gave back then help me to apply them to my life today that I might be the man I might be the woman I might be the child that you have called me to be I want to be a bright bright light for you Lord I want to live my life for you I want to make my life count I don't want my life to just be like everybody else's life I want my life to count for you you've given me a a specific number of breaths a specific number of days, minutes, and seconds. Lord, help me not to waste any more time on me. Help me to live for you. God, that is our prayer. That is our desire. At least I hope and pray it is. And if it's not, then God, meet us where we are and bring us to that place. Because whatever is done for us is going to pass away like wood, hay, and stubble. But the things that we do for you and by you is like gold and diamonds and jewels and precious gems. They won't pass away. Though they might be refined, Lord, they're not going to pass away. We lift up our lives to you, Lord. I lift up these sheep, these brothers and sisters, these friends, Lord, I know that maybe today I, 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 I pray that I haven't come off so hard. I know that I can sometimes become impassioned. I don't, God, that's the person you made me. I believe if you were here, you'd be even more impassioned. If you were standing in this pulpit, I think we'd listen to you a lot more. And rightly so. Correctly so we would. But God, I pray that we don't just hear this message today and put it in the little box of the church box that we have in our mind. Lock it away and, and as we depart this building, we just kind of stuff it into our little cubby hole here because we'll pick it up next week and we won't do anything that we've learned here today out there. We're going to be a Christian in this building. No, Lord, help us to be a Christian outside of the walls of this building. Help us to be followers of you outside of these four walls. Help us to impact the world around us. 
God, that's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.